This is not the small print of the gospel. This is not some hidden message in scripture. Jesus made it very clear that a decision to follow was a decision to die, to surrender everything to him. And so Jesus turns to the crowd and he turns to you and me and he asks the one question that will ultimately define our lives. Are you a fan or a follower? That's a critical question we're asking this morning as we start this new series. Good morning. I'm Michael Smith, the lead pastor here at Victory, and we are thrilled to have you with us. I um, went to Crawfordsville yesterday morning with my son, who had come in Friday night, to, to be with the family and have a dinner and some fellowship and some time together. And he was running in the 5K, and so um, was there at the starting line when he ran, and they, they fired the shot, and I hit the stopwatch, and I kept the time for him. And when he crossed you know, hit it so he could see that he had broken his record. He was trying to make it in a certain amount of time in the 5K. And uh, so I'm up and down the street. And let me just tell you, this is the first time I've ever gone to the Crawfordsville Festival. It's been in, you know, they've been doing it for years, and I've just never gone out. And I really had a great time, wonderful little small town atmosphere up and down Main Street there. Of, I guess that's the name of it. I'm not sure, but it is the Main Street there in Crawfordsville. And uh, I think that the population actually triples on the day of their festival. And so all kinds of little booths and crafts and great food, the kind that you don't need, but the kind that so, tastes so good. And so we're, we're, we're walking along, and I just see about everybody that I know and have some great fellowship. You know what? This is really what these life groups are about. It's about plugging into fellowship because, let's face it, there, this is a great celebration experience on Sunday morning, but there's not a lot of time for fellowship unless you consider looking at the back of somebody's head as fellowship. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, talking about the community that was existent in the early church. After the day of Pentecost, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to breaking of bread and to prayer and to fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. And in fellowship, the Greek word koinonia, it, it, it's the idea of close communion. And it's, it's, it really is what's arrived at when you get a whole bunch of fellows into a ship together that's what real fellowship is. You start to get close and you can kind of see each other's warts and, and you start learning what it means to really love each other in spite of those things and that nobody in there is perfect. And real community is about recognizing that and still loving and walking together with each other. And so I just want to tell you right now, as I start this message this morning, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm kind of perturbed. I'm sort of scratching my head because th there are a lot of you that I don't see signed up. And I just want to tell you, real Christianity is about doing it in community. And this is the shortest life group series we've ever done. It's only six weeks, and a number of people have agreed to open their homes, and they're great, hospitable, friendly, wonderful people that are doing that. And we have them in the day and in the evening and in the weekdays and on the weekend and different times for men and for women only in different groups. And then there are groups that are mixed. So there's a great opportunity. We will give you... At the close of the service today, if you will pick up your card and sign up for one of these groups, a free copy, it's not going to, this part doesn't cost you anything. Now, what's going to cost you is answering some questions that we're going to talk about today as we introduce. But if you'll sign up and, and fill out the card and, and meet in the cafe right afterward, we want to give you a copy of this excellent book called Not a Fan. Okay, so back to Crawfordsville. I'm there at the festival, and Drew runs the 5K and we're, dry, we're walking down, I sort of say driving, but we're walking down through the main street area and we're smelling the great smells of all these different churches and groups that are, that are cooking barbecue and all kinds of stuff. And uh, we see a guy with a lemonade stand and Drew says, hey, I need, I need something to drink. And so we walk up there and guy gives us a sample of some of the Chicago style sausage that he's cooking and mm, my, 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 it's just good stuff. And, and so... Um, he gives us both a lemonade, and then, of course, Drew said, he's paying. He looks at me, you know, because I'm the dad. I have the wallet and the cash. And Drew said, I don't have anything. He's, the, he's being the son, typically. So, anyway, dad provided. And uh, so we're standing there drinking the lemonade, and it was a great, wonderful taste. Uh, 50 cents is all it was. And I, and I was thinking about how I was going to kick this off this morning. And, and how many of you 
ever think about somebody opening, opening a lemonade stand business. You know, you don't typically think of that. This is something that kids do in the summertime. It's hot, and they see a friend doing it in another neighborhood, or maybe they visit a cousin, and they're doing that over there in the city in another state. And, and so they say, you know what? I, I feel like I could probably make something on top of my allowance, and so I would like to try this, Mom and Dad. I want to see how it'll work. And Mom pulls out her famous lemonade recipe, and it's not just whipping up some uh, country time from Concentrate. But mom actually gets in there and tries to help Junior out, son or daughter, whoever's doing it. And she actually squeezes real lemons and she, she pours her heart into it. And it is a delicious concoction. Dad gets out there in the garage. He pulls together a few pieces of lumber and, and puts together this little makeshift lemonade stand. And the son or the daughter who's doing it paints in hand, in his own or her own hand, lemonade 50 cents. And they're off. Here goes the new business by this preteen or this you know, maybe 12 or 13-year-old. People are coming by. They're doing what we do in the neighborhood. I see one of the kids in our neighborhood selling Kool-Aid. I'll stop them. You know, they're asking for a quarter, and I'll give them a dollar. Oh, wow, this is great. <laughs> Come back again. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big tipper, okay. And so I help them out. And, and, but the, let's say the young man, young, young lady starts the lemonade business, and they do so well at it that it becomes a complete summer venture for them because they're actually making some cash. And the lemonade recipe is so good that it gets around that adults start stopping by, driving up, and it changes from 50 cents with a little solo cup to a pretty good-sized cup, 18 or 22 ounces, and they've gone from 50 cents to $2, and folks are still buying it because it's so good. And actually, the local Little League, uh, the, the person who's running that says, hey, why don't you actually come set up and bring your recipe and do it down here in a concession stand here at the park and we'll work with you and you can make some money at it. And before you know it, what started out as a hobby reaches the point where the young man or the young lady basically has to come to the moment and make a decision. Will I actually stay at the point where I'm actually making it all myself and having to greet the customers and pour the lemonade, put the ice in, get the money from the person, give them change? Or is this going to be something where I start to bring in a couple of my friends and pay them a certain amount or a wage because i got to have some folks to help me with this because it's growing. Dad basically says, you know what? You're going to have to start keeping up with your finances. It's taking so many lemons for you to cover all these little league ball games. You're going to have to start making special orders with the grocery store down here to make sure you have enough fresh lemons coming in because we're not going to just take this from Concentrate. Dad says, you know what, probably be good for you to come in, son, and let me sit down with you and show you Excel, and let's, let's put your expenses and your profit on a spreadsheet and start keeping up with it so you can really know if you're making some money. Some of you are thinking, wow, I wish my kid would do that. My kid doesn't even know what a spreadsheet is. Some of you think, I just wish my kid would get a job. Somewhere along the way, that person reaches the point where they have to make the decision. Is this just for fun? Or am I actually going to make this a career? Is this something I'm just doing for a hobby? Or am I actually going to begin investing in this? I think that that same question is pervasive, not only in the business arena, but it also touches us in our area of relationships. Watch this with me. DTR. Some of you will recognize what those letters stand for. If you're not sure, let me help you out. If you are a young man in a relationship with a young woman, then uh, chances are these letters are enough to strike fear into your heart. You may run away from, postpone, you may dread the DTR talk. Some young men will even terminate a relationship if they feel like the DTR talk is imminent. It is that official talk that takes place in every romantic relationship. Do you know what it stands for, DTR? Define the relationship. You sit down and you decide where things are going. Have things moved from casual to committed? I remember this uh, date I went on in high school on the very first date the girl tried to have the DTR talk with me. First date, DTR. I got out of their PDQ. I just ran away. <laughs> oh, goodness. 
Everybody say, define the relationship. This morning as we begin, I just want to tell you that over the next several weeks, we are going to ask some questions that help every one of us individually in the room to examine our relationships with Jesus. Some of you think, wow, now wait a minute, this is my first time at Victory. This is my first date, okay? I'm not really sure about the claims of Jesus. Let me just say to you, it's okay, sit back and listen. But for the most part, pretty much the majority of the people in the room have been coming here for a while. And I just want to tell you what I believe the Lord is saying to us. In Luke chapter 9, it's the opening of your message notes. The Bible says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Many in the room are ready for and welcome a DTR talk. You're ready to move to a different level of commitment. You, you, are, you are wanting to go beyond, uh, move past the casual and the convenient, and you're ready to say, look, I'm devoted. You are not just one among several in which I have been interested, but I want you to be my one and only. I think that every relationship that is going to be successful has to at some time have the DTR talk. And today, I'm here to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus. This This is something that some are ready, and then there are some in the room that are not ready for it. Because let me just be honest with you. We take painful attempts sometimes to be truthful at victory. We we make every effort to be vulnerable when it is necessary so that we can be real. Because religion has such a tendency to put on a facade we can, we can be all white on the outside. And Jesus looked at Pharisees one day, and he called them a bunch of whited sepulchers. They were painted white on the outside. But he said, inside of you are full of dead men's bones. And so this morning, I don't want to just have a good-looking outside and a facade of rule-keeping, but I want to have a living, clearly defined relationship with Jesus Christ. And some in the room are not ready for that this morning. Now you're, you're sitting here, you're thinking, you know, Jesus is a nice guy. You know what? I like this church. The coffee's good. The music is current. The messages are, are, are relevant. They're practical. The pastor's good looking. I mean, it's just easy to sit here. Now we have four, so I'm talking about some other people. Okay. (laughs) Hey, gotta, gotta joke a little bit. You like what you have going. Some of you are anxious. It's easy to hear words like this in the same way you've been dating a young lady for a while and you know that it's coming. You can feel it inside, way down in your knower. You know that you know that you know you know. And you know that she knows that you know she knows. That it's time for the talk. Sometimes our immediate response is fight or flight. But what we want to do in the next few weeks is define this relationship. And so I want to ask you the first question out of the shoot this morning. Where do you stand with Jesus Christ? Kyle Eidelman, the young man that you've seen in the little small sermonette setting this up, is the pastor of a church in Louisville, Kentucky. And he wrote an amazing book that I read over vacation this summer. Pastor Haley Vest had given to me, and I always take a stack of books with me on vacation. I usually read about a book a day on the beach and get up way early before everybody else does, brew my coffee, 536, 630. Sometimes, since it's the beach, I may sleep a little bit longer, and it may be 630 or 7. And so I'm out there looking over the, the great Gulf of Mexico, and I don't have a Hammond B3 to bring the presence of God and it doesn't, I don't need those things, but I just begin to look at creation and I just begin to thank God for his goodness and his love for me and the fact that his love is so great that it's bigger than that piece of water that I'm looking out there that's as far as my eye can see. And I'm thinking about his grace that is everlasting and his mercies that are new every morning. And I'm just thinking about how huge and how majestic and how august and how amazing and big God is beyond description. And I'm opening the Bible and I'm drinking my coffee and I'm a happy man. Oh, I'm a happy man. And one morning I cracked open this book, Not a Fan, and it touched me deeply. And in between chapters I wept because I saw sometimes how American Christianity has viewed the church in a place that just sort of a so-so kind of lukewarmness that pervades us. I, I, preparing for this series, I had read a statistic that showed from the 2010 census that 80% of the 308 million residents of the United States of America claim to be Christian. 
80% of 308 million. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, what in the world is wrong? I think if we really actually had 25% that were true followers of Jesus Christ, that the nation would look differently than it does today, that we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in today. And I read this book and it gripped my heart and it just showed me that it's, there's something that, that costs me, even as a pastor in America, where we really honestly have never experienced any degree of identifiable historical persecution in the church around the world that's being martyred and laying down their lives and literally are putting their lives in danger because they own and possess a piece of a leaf of the gospel or they own a, a piece out of the book of Colossians and they crowd around it in a little underground church in Beijing, China. And they share those few words and they weep and cry. And what God is doing under that place of persecution is that 1949, less than 1% of the population were Christian. And now in 2012, 1 billion plus people and 100 million of them are real, true, honest to goodness, completely devoted, committed followers of Jesus Christ. And it's shaking that nation to its roots. This morning, I would ask you the question, are you a fan or are you a follower? Why ask a question like that, Pastor? And you know, the Mythbusters series was fine. You stepped on my toes a little bit about on some of the stuff that I thought was in the Bible and found out it wasn't. But man, don't be pressing me for any DTR talk with Jesus. We're all followers, right? After all, I'm in church. I showed up this morning. I'm following Jesus. I'm here. I actually clapped my hands. And you know, when everybody had their eyes closed, I actually raised mine, Pastor. I'm telling you, I'm taking some real steps here. Don't push it. But I want to tell you that's why we're here. Don't jump too quickly. Hear me out. A fan is defined in the dictionary as an enthusiastic admirer. An enthusiastic admirer. There are fans of different things. There are sports fans. There are a few WPS nation people in this room. Woo, pig, suey. And you paint the colors, and you buy the jerseys, and you're in mourning in this season right now. I mean, it's almost like, is there a God in heaven? The heavens are brass. Oh, God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit over the hog nations? <laughs> Lord, you know we need it. And we can put on our jerseys and we can stand in the stands and we can whoop and we can suey and we can do all of that. You can be a fan of a celebrity. You can know Carmen Diaz's height and her eye color and her favorite color and how she likes her coffee and you can know her birthday. You can think Julianne Huff is just indescribably beautiful. I don't know whoever your idea of masculinity is, young ladies, but whoever the hottest thing is these days, you can know his name. You can even know where he lives. You can do a drive-by on a star tour in L.A. You can be a stalker. <laughs> you can go to jail for your fandom if you want to. <laughs> be part of the paparazzi. You guys, you can be fans of your favorite slugger. You can know his home run hitting average. You can know exactly how many yards Tom Brady has passed for the New England Patriots. You can know all these things, but you can know them without ever knowing that person. It's a strange situation in America, the cult of celebrity. We can be fans of someone or something and then never ever have any concept of knowing that individual as a person. We can evaluate their performance on the field. You can go through the motions. You can come to victory and do what everyone else does. We can open our programs. We can clap our hands at the appropriate times. You can even step out in faith and say an amen once in a while at this church, and nobody dies because of it. You can sit and enjoy, and you can leave thinking, wow, it was all done for us. You can spectate in here in the very same way that you spectate in the game. And you can get in the car and evaluate the sermon. You can give the worship set list a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Don't even look at me that way. I know you all do it because we all do it. Wow, the pastor really bombed today, didn't he? Man, wow, Pastor Michael was on, man. 
You know what? I have learned to live above all of that because sometimes the day that I actually think I've bombed, I will get hit with people that will call me that week and go, you have no idea what the Holy Spirit spoke to me through that message. And some days when I think I've really done well, it's, it's like God has a whole different kind of grading system than I do. And I want to live and learn to please him above anybody else that I please. We can be great admirers of sports figures. We can quote their stats and know their birthdays. I'm convinced that we can do the same thing about Jesus. We can know a lot about him and not actually have a relationship with him. We can be a fan of Jesus and not be a follower. Three questions I want to ask you today as we roll into this series, and that's this. Number one, why are you here? Say that. Why are you here? Say it out loud. Why are you here? Jesus was not interested in gathering fans. He had massive crowds that followed him on a regular basis. And repeatedly, he would do things that would just about defy the logic of church growth experts today because about the time he would get a great big crowd, he would preach something that would tick them all off and the crowds would go away and people are staying away in droves. And he would draw a line in the sand and he would bring a differentiation between the crowds and the committed. He would show the distinction between the fans and the followers. John chapter 6 verse 2, it says great crowds were following Jesus because of the miracles. He's touching blind eyes and they're opening. He's sticking his finger in deaf ears and they're unstopping. He's he's touching the tongues of dumb people and now they're speaking. He's, He's healing the lame and they're walking. He's raising the dead and they're breathing. And there's an anointing. The Bible says the power of the Lord to heal was present. The Greek word hooper echo, which says, we read it in the English, and it was noised abroad. And the news of Jesus went abroad and traveled. Hooper echo, it means that Jesus basically, to put it in today's terms, got interviewed on Entertainment Tonight. And here comes the crowds. It's hooper echoed above everything else. Everybody's hearing about it, and they're rushing down to see the man from Galilee. And he gets the crowd together. And you know what? It's an amazing day, man. It's just having a good old time. We're having a Sunday all-day dinner on the grounds. You know, they didn't know where where, where the, the chicken order didn't come through. And so he finds a little boy with five loaves and two fish, and he, he takes that little boy's lunch, and he takes it into the hands, and the little becomes much when you put it in the master's hand, and he breaks the head, and the, the head of that uh, fish grows a tail, and the tail part of that fish grows a head, and he just keeps breaking and multiplying until 5,000 men are fed. They were a little bit chauvinistic in those days. They didn't count the women and the children. So l- realistically, they gave out enough Happy Meals to feed 20,000 people. Filet of fish day, fish and chips. Man, everybody's happy. They're gathering up fragments so much that it's 12 baskets full. Every one of the apostles, the disciples who became the apostles, all went home carrying a basket. Started out with nothing but a little boy's happy meal. And Jesus put it into his hand and multiplied it and fed 20,000 people. And the doubting disciples that said, we don't have enough money, every one of them went home with leftovers, a great big bushel basket filled up with fish and chips. But before the end of the day happened, Jesus drew a line in the sand and he looked at the crowd and he sees that they're satisfied and there have been people healed and there have been people that have been touched in a very dramatic way. But the crowds are coming not for the life-changing teaching. They're not coming because of the lesson that they know they're going to get from Jesus. They're coming because of the miracles. They want to see the show. They're there for the spectacle. Do something great, Jesus. So Jesus looks at them. A miracle has happened right in front of them. 20,000 people are fed from almost nothing. And he says, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, You are none of my disciples. And Pete looks at John and said, oh my goodness, he's going vampire on us. What does he mean, eat my flesh and drink my blood? And the crowd starts slipping away. Matthew's a tax collector. He's got his handheld calculator out and he's calculating okay we're losing them by the dozens it's by the scores it's by the hundreds it's by the thousands and the crowd that Jesus did have literally he's left with those that are his core group 
And he looks at them and he said, will you too turn? Matter of fact, let me give you the scripture. This is one of the scariest passages of scripture in the Bible. It is found in John chapter 6. And as you put that up there today, I want you to see the actual location of this. I'm not a superstitious person, but just look at the location. Do you see the three numbers? Oh, my goodness. This is John 6, 66. That dreaded revelation mark of the beast, which is the whole mark of Adam. It's the Adamic nature. It's the sin nature. It's this whole thing that smells like the sinful nature about it. And and the Bible says in this scary passage of Scripture in John 6, 66, it says, From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And, and, and really what happened was there was a line drawn in the sand and they saw that day that they were really fans and not followers. And Jesus did that on purpose. So many things that Jesus does sometimes defies the way we think because we think if we can put together a good program and draw crowds that we're happy. And, and some of you might think, Pastor, this is happening so great. Why do you want to draw this thing in and try to divide, define between the, the committed and the crowd because you got crowds coming right now. It's just exciting to see what the Lord is doing in victory. And I'm telling you, I would not be faithful to the gospel if I don't obey what I know the Lord told me to bring to us as a local church. We cannot play church and be be fans. We have to be followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus was looking for some folks that were all in. Let's define the relationship. Why are you here? What is your because? John 6, 2 says the crowds were coming because of the miracles. What is it about victory? Is it the fact that the coffee's good and the people are friendly? Your kids can make friends here easier than they can at school. It's a great opportunity to rub shoulders with some other folks and maybe make some business contacts. Why are you here? Are you here because there is somebody who's pressing you? Your girlfriend is going to church here. Your boyfriend is going to church here. Your mama's going to church here. Second question this morning, what is your because? I ask that because we need to bring to bear number two, are you all in? Say that with me. Are you all in? See, there are people in the room this morning that will say, I'll serve Jesus as long as. I'll serve Jesus as long as I don't have to forgive the person who hurt me. Pastor Michael, you have no idea what my alcoholic father did to me when I was growing up. You have no idea what my mother, who was strung out on drugs and spent significant time behind bars, You have no idea what the uncle did to me in sexual molestation. And I cannot even begin to describe to you the pain that I've grown up with in my whole life. Don't ask me to forgive that person who did those things to me. You have no idea the person that I trusted and that betrayed me and stole from me and literally destroyed my life, the person at work that lied on me. I'll serve Jesus as long as I don't have to give up my bitterness I'll serve Jesus as long as you don't ask me to stop resenting my wife. I'll serve Jesus, Pastor, as long as you don't touch my money. Don't ask me to give. I'll serve Jesus as long as you don't ask me to to abstain from these sexual desires that I have. After all, I can't help the sexual desires that I have, and I need to be able to express them. And I'll love Jesus as long as I don't have to change that. We're Burger King Christians, folks. Instead of saying, hold the lettuce, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, we say, hold the commitment, hold the holiness. I'll just be a Christian in name. I'll go down, shake the pastor's hand. I'll sign a card. I'll even maybe even take the step and get water baptized. But my life is really no different than it's ever been. I just am buying some fire insurance so that if I die, I know that I'll be in the good place. And I just want to tell you, selective commitment is not a possibility. You can't choose and pick and cherry pick the scriptures. I'll follow Jesus only in the areas that I agree with, Pastor, where it's comfortable. Selective commitment is not a possibility. There's no bartering, there's no bargaining, there's no finagling. Okay, Jesus, I'll give you more money so long as you don't touch that area of my life. I'll write a bigger check. We try to do what Saul did in 1 Samuel where he didn't obey the prophet Samuel 
and kill Agag and destroy all of the things that God said there to be a devoted offering to the Lord. And so he let Agag live and he kept all the animals and Samuel the prophet comes in and he says, what is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? And Saul says, well, they, were, they would be good for a sacrifice. And Samuel the prophet takes Saul's sword and he cuts the head of King Agag off and he gives word to kill all the animals and he looks at Saul and he says, today you've lost the kingdom. To obey is better than sacrifice. Sometimes we think if we'll sacrifice in one area that God will overlook the area that we're not obeying in. God, I love you. I'll follow you. I'll walk with you as long as you don't say anything about that. I'll even make a commitment and serve in this area. I'll give more over here. I'll give my time or I'll give more of my money. Lord, just don't touch this little secret area in my life that nobody knows that I deal with. I want you to know that when we decided to follow Jesus, it means that we're going to go all in. Everybody say all in. How you answer, why are you here, can help you determine whether or not you're all in. This morning, as I bring this message to its close, my last question is this. Have you made it your own? Some of you started because of a parent made you come to church. Dad said it's not an option. You were made to go to church growing up. And so maybe you're here right now because your parents have demanded. They've said, you want this? Okay, I'll see you in church. Maybe there's a young lady in the room who's basically said to a young man who's interested in her, fine, I will date you, but you got to come date me at Victory. I want to see your face in this place. You keep right up, young lady. But young man, you're here because she is something else. My, my, my. And you're here for her. And so somewhere along the line, you two are going to have a DTR talk. You're going to define the relationship. And I'm telling you right now, Jesus wants to have a DTR talk with you. You're here and you've gotten used to it and it's, it feels good. And, and, and let, me, let me just tell you something. There's something about us coming to try to please somebody else that won't last. It may get us in, but it won't keep us in. One of our most high traffic days in church it's not just Christmas or Easter, and we refer to those around here who only come on those two days of the year as Christers. Matter of fact, we've even considered as a staff decorating with poinsettias and Easter lilies so they would be comfortable if they did show up another Sunday, that it would, they would see that it's decorated the way it is the, day, the two days they're here. Another very high traffic day in the church is Mother's Day. Why do you guys think Mother's Day, the place is packed out and we're setting out extra chairs? Why do you think it's, that's the high traffic day in church? Somebody tell me. Talk to me. Because you want to please mama. You know it's going to make mama happy if you go sit in church beside her. And some of you, it's just, man, let me, let me, let me, let me take some medication so I can go stand this guy. Now, that's one of, when one of our other pastors is preaching. Okay, now I'm just, just teasing. <laughs> See, I have to wake you up a little bit. <laughs> I really am teasing. Oh, <laughs> that's my youth guy right there. <laughs> the Latino honest. <laughs> but I want to tell you that Jesus is not looking for a relationship between you and your mom and himself. Jesus is not looking for a relationship between you and your wife and himself. Jesus is not looking for a relationship, and you fill in the blank, with anybody else besides Jesus and you. He's looking for a relationship with you. And the fact is, is that you can come to a place like this because it is a friendly church and it is, it's got a nice laid back atmosphere and, and you can enjoy yourself. You can actually bring a, a cup of coffee into this service here and nobody's going to lose their mind over it. It's, you know, God doesn't split the whole roof open and take somebody out the way that happens in some places. And, and so the whole point is, you know, and we do that on purpose. Not that the places that don't do that are doing wrong. Bless God, they're wonderful churches that are reaching people. We just feel like we're called to reach the folks that they're not reaching. And, and, and we feel like that we're, we're, we're called to do what we're doing, and that's why we do it here. But let me tell you, you can go through all the motions here, and you can get accustomed to it, and you can actually like the music. It's sort of like going to work with one of your friends and you ride to work with him every day, and he's a huge Aerosmith fan. Yes. 
<laughs> Man, I love it when I got people with me. Come on, help me. Help me, youth. <laughs> He's a huge Aerosmith fan. And you know what? I'll just be, I'll confess right now. I, I'm, I'm not a big Aerosmith person. No offense to those that whooped, okay? I don't hate them, but I, I don't just necessarily, I'm not crazy about them, okay? But I ride in the car with this guy every day, and bless his heart, he's got the same playlist. And you're going through it, and you're just kind of, well, you know what? I get a ride. I got some fellowship, and he is a good friend. And you know what? He's letting me ride in his car. I'm saving my gas. And so you do it day in and day out and day in and day out. And before you know it, you just kind of know the whole routine. And you're going down the street. (laughs) And you start humming along with a guy that you don't even care a whole lot about. And you've always had a little bit of suspicion about Steven Tyler anyway, but... Dude looks like a lady. And and before you know it, you're humming along singing, I don't want to miss a thing. And you don't even realize it, but in the process, you've become an Aerosmith fan. You kind of like it. What am I saying to you this morning? You can actually show up in this place and you can get familiar with the upbeat music that we try to bring to you in a current kind of way. And we... We are very particular. We want to make sure that it's packed with the gospel. It's not just a nice, cool, current sound, but it really does magnify Jesus. And so it's cool, and you like it, and man, the drummer's good, and, and our vocalists are amazing, and it's awesome, and you, go, you, you have a great time, and you actually get comfortable enough where you can stand back there and kind of pat your foot, and you think, man, am I getting Pentecostal here or something? What's going on? <laughs> you can clap your hands, and... Worship, man, you, you go away going, I'm telling you, I don't know what it is, but I sense the presence of God in that place. I leave and it, I'm encouraged, I'm strengthened. And, and you, can, you can walk out of this room and you can be involved in all this and you can come back week after week and just be going through the process and you can be a fan of Jesus and not a follower. And I just want to tell you, Jesus regularly draws the line in the sand for all of us. And he says, why are you here? And are you really all in? And have you made this your own? Thank God for mama who pressed you. I sat across the table from my sweet mama who went to be with Jesus in in March this year. And a good 15 years ago, I sat across the table from her. We were just a few years into this ministry and this vision and my brother was sitting there. He hadn't married Stacy yet. Years down the road before we got those two precious little boys, Jake and Shepard. And so we're sitting around our Sunday meal, and Mama says something about coming back here for, for, for the family. And I said, Mama, I want to tell you right now, I love you more than words can describe, but I did not come back here for you. And my mother almost dropped her food out of her mouth. I, I love you, Mama, but I did not move back here to start this church for you. I came back here because Jesus put something way down in my heart. And I got off a plane in Memphis and actually had to walk across the tarmac in February of 1988. They didn't even taxi the plane up to the little, you know, that you can walk through. I had to get down and walk down the steps of the plane onto the, it looked like this right here. I had to walk across the tarmac, and when I stepped my feet there, the Spirit of God spoke to me, and I heard him say, you're going to build a church for me in this area. And I turned around because it seemed like it was audible, but I knew that it had come from on the inside of here. And I looked at my mother that day at our Sunday dinner, and I said, Mama, I cannot come back here for you because if I come back here for you, something will disappoint, something will discourage, something will kick the feet out from under me. And if I come back here for you, then I will not stay for the right reason. And I have to be here. I have to love Jesus, Mama, more than I love you. And I want you to know, God loves your spouse and your mama more than you love your spouse or your mama and more than you love your children. And he loves you more than they love you. And he wants you to love him more than you love them. As a matter of fact, Jesus said the same Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, if you don't hate your mother and father, 
And it's a Hebrew idiom of comparison, basically saying, of course you love your parents, but your love for your parents should be so distinctly different from how passionately you love God that that love for your parents almost looks like hatred. He says, except you hate them, you are not my disciples. Now, he's not contradicting himself. He wants us to honor our parents and love them, but he's talking about the difference between the two. I have to be so much in love with Jesus So much more, more than anybody else on this team. I don't do what I do for anybody in this room. I do what I do because God called me here. And I want to tell you something. This is one reason why we need community. You need to be in a life group. Yeah, I'm pressuring you unabashedly, unapologetically. I'm pressuring you to make a decision to get in a community because if you'll get in a community of believers, it will radically change your life in this short six-week period. The community that we enjoy as a leadership team, I would not trade anything for. We sat down this week and talked through some things and worked through some things that needed to be said. And these people love me and I love them and we love each other and we help each other. That means sometimes we ask hard questions and we say sometimes things that are painfully vulnerable. And I'm thankful. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I cry out to God and go, God, help me not to be a fan in this area, but help me to be a follower, a fully committed, completely devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. There, there, people have different personalities, and we, we do things differently, and no two people are alike on this team, and sometimes opposites attract, and we have to make room for that and create an opportunity. And I want you to understand this too. I've been at this for 23 years, so I'm not doing this like a sprinter. I'm running it like a marathoner. You can hype yourself up and you can run it like a sprinter and you can drop dead on the six mile. Or you can realize you have to pace yourself. And Jesus said this is a marathon anyway. Greek word right there in in Hebrews chapter 12, it's about running with patience the race that is set before us. And and, and God's calling me. I'm going to tell you, if you think you're coming to victory and this is a place where we have perfect leadership, I, as the lead pastor, want to tell you right now, I am not perfect. God is still moving and working in my life. That is not an excuse. It is a statement of reality. And we understand that as a team, and we work together, and we walk together, and we administer grace to people in this congregation. You do not have to have all your ducks in a row and quacking together in harmony to be a part of Victory Church. There's a church in Memphis that I think is doing an awesome job, and if I weren't plagiarizing it, I would make this our tagline. And it's, I'll be honest with you, it's high point. They say, the perfect place for imperfect people, and I love that. You don't have it all together? Come on, baby. We'll welcome you in here. And we'll tell you that Jesus loves you just like you are, but he loves you enough to not leave you like you are. He's going to walk with you. He's going to grow with you. He's going to challenge you. Occasionally draw a line in the sand and say, have you made this your own? Because you know what? It's not enough. You can't ride mama's coattail into the pearly gates. She's praying for you. Your spouse, your wife, your husband is praying for you. Maybe your children are praying for you. Maybe you're here because of any of those reasons. And this morning, I'd like you to take this closing moment with me. I'd like you, every head bowed, every eye closed. just want to ask you this question right now. Why are you here? Are you all in? And have you made it your own? Mama's faith may have gotten you here. But mama's faith cannot take you any further. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. And he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I believe there's some people in the room right now that are saying, God, I've heard your voice in this message today. And I believe that I need to take a step I don't just want to be a fan. I want to be a follower. There's some people in the room who've never crossed the line of faith before, and I'm not pressuring you. If you're not ready, that's fine. God, God knows your heart. He, he, work, he walks with us. He works with us. But I believe that there's some people in the room this morning that you've already sensed the working presence of the Holy Spirit, moving, tugging in your heart, and you're ready to take that step. You're ready to say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. I'm all in.
Touch me, change me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Forgive my sins. Be my Savior. This is the gospel in a nutshell right here. We are guilty. Jesus is righteous. The righteous one substitutes himself for the guilty. The just dies for the unjust. The godly dies in the place of, substitutes in the place of the ungodly. None of us has one speck of hope before the bar of heaven because the law of God is accusing us and its full weight is coming down upon us. Jesus is the only one who ever fully and completely in every way obeyed the commandment of God. He is holy, he is righteous, he is pure, he is impeccable. Tempted in every way that you were, yet without sin, the Bible says. This morning, you have no hope whatsoever standing on your own goodness because our goodness is as filthy rags, our righteousness. I don't even take time to go into how the Bible describes that, literally as bloody rags. So it's nothing. My only hope is to say, Jesus, forgive me. Be my substitute. What you did 2,000 years ago on the cross, by faith, I put my trust in you. That the judgment of God that I deserve was poured out upon you. And I say, Jesus, come into my heart, be my Savior. I lay down my life. I deny myself. I'm all in. I'm yours. I give myself to you. In this moment right now, that's all you have to do. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking. One quick question. If you'd like to be included in this prayer right now and you're ready to say, Jesus, I know why I'm here. I've been coming for a while, but I'm ready to take this step of faith. Would you slip up your hand right now? I just want to pray for you. Several around the room. Yes. Thank you. Anybody else? I want to give you a moment. <laughs> All right. I want to talk to believers for just a second here as this service ends. You know Jesus, you've been walking with him, but something's tugged you and is drawing you down inside your heart. And, and you know you've just been on the fringes in the margins. And there's some things that basically you've said, you know what, Jesus, I've been following you, but I got a couple things I've been holding back. I need to give you these areas of my life. I need to let you touch everything. I don't know what those are. It's none of my business. Don't have to know, but Jesus knows. Those of you that are in the room this morning, you already know Jesus is your Savior. If you were to die, you would be in the good place. You would, you would be in his presence. But you also know that you're living far beneath the privilege of being a son or a daughter of God because you're walking around in bondage. There's an addictive pattern of behavior that's gripping your life. And Jesus wants to set you free. I can't go on and describe enough scenarios. There's somebody in this room. You know that the Lord's calling you to a higher place in him. Every head still bowed, every eye closed. Believers, I'm talking to you now. If that's you and you need a fresh start, you need to say, Jesus, I'm all in. I want to be a follower. Just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. Yes, several again in the room. Father, we pray right now by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that you who do what no man can do, no words can make this happen. No, no preacher can preach it into us. Only the presence of the Holy Spirit can move and raise a dead man to life. Those who on the front end raised their hands and said, I'm ready to cross the line of faith. Right now, as they very simply say in their own words, Jesus, save me. Say that right now in your heart. Speak it out. Jesus, save me. Father, thank you that you hear them, that you move and work in the Holy Spirit. Lord, we repent. We turn from our past and we turn to you. Take us and change us. Make us and mold us, Lord, to be what you've called us to be. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Be Lord of our lives. We thank you for that, that you've made us a new creation. For the believers who raised their hands at the end and said, you know what, I've just been holding some stuff back and I want to lay it down. Jesus, thank you that we're standing at the foot of your cross and we bow our knee right now and we say, Jesus, I lay this thing down. You name it right there where you are, whatever it is. Call it what it is. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, we lay this thing down and we leave this place today no longer with a ball and chain around our foot. Thank you that you lead us into freedom. You, you guide us, Holy Spirit, into all truth. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. We'll be careful to give you the praise. All of God's people said, put your hands together this morning. Come on, let's give God some praise this morning. Hallelujah. A couple of things very quickly just want to share with you today. If you made a fresh start, 
in Jesus Christ. Will you please take a moment and stop back there in the corner. Young man wants to give you a copy of the Abundant Life New Testament. It's the New Living Translation. Great place to start. Just grab a chapter a day. Ask the Holy Spirit who is in you now as a new believer in your fresh start. He's come into your heart. Ask him to begin to teach you what you see in this word. Don't worry about what you don't understand. Begin to live and apply what you do and the Spirit of God will take care of the rest. Secondly, this morning, every Tuesday night, I meet with a group of followers that are ready to be disciples and teach what we call the Purple Book. It's 12 units that give us building blocks in our relationship with Jesus, building strong foundations, okay? Thirdly and lastly, this morning, those of you that are ready to commit to a life group for the next six weeks, fill out your card, take it with you to the cafe this morning. I will give you a free copy, we've already bought it, of Not a Fan. It's an awesome book that I think will challenge you. We've got several life groups that are located in West Memphis and Marion, and we would love for you to participate and be a part with us. These are going to be set up in a really cool way. You'll go in and sit down and watch the guy that you saw on the video in about a 25-minute little video, and then you'll talk about it. What does this mean? How can I be a follower of Jesus? Six weeks from now, I'm expecting to literally feel a whole different level of the water, the spirit water, as the water level rises in this room, as we get on fire for Jesus. And I'm asking God to start a revival here. Other churches in the community have been doing this. We don't see ourselves as any, any better than. There are other good churches in the city. We're thankful to the Lord for that. Thank you for coming to Victory. If this isn't quite exactly what you're looking for, I can recommend some good ones in the city, men that I love and trust. But we feel called of God right now to do this here, and I'd love for everybody to participate because this will change your life. Somebody say amen. All right, this morning as we get ready to close, just want to say to you that what we're doing right now is for our covenant members and our regular attenders. If you're a guest, I'm not even asking you to participate. Take your connection card with you out into the foyer this morning, into the entryway. Somebody with a big smile on a serve shirt will put a gift in your hand thanking you for coming and being with us this morning. For those of you that are part of Victory, and you know God's called you and joined you to this body, we end our service with our last act of worship, and that's bringing to the Lord His tithe, because it belongs to Him already, His tithe and our offering. And we've changed out our skill sets and our talent and our time, and it's been put into our hands, this whole medium of money. And so when you give God a dollar, you're giving Him a piece of your life, okay? You're trusting God to bless that, Bless all the other areas of your life after you do this in obedience this morning. So today we just want to say to you, if you're a guest and you're a member of another local church, your tithe belongs in that church. We're not asking you to participate in this. God blesses the socks off of us here at Victory, and we've never had to sell a hot dog to keep the doors open. And we're thankful for that. And so this morning, as we bring this thing to a close, Greg is going to sing an awesome song that I love, Reaching For You. And so make this your prayer today as we end this service in our act of worship and giving to the Lord that that is due his name. Come on, somebody say amen.